0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, September 25th. Is leaving the Canada pension plan in the best interest of all Albertans? And do most of us even want to leave the safety of the CPP for the unknown of a provincial pension plan? We asked Bradley LaFortune, Executive Director of Public Interest Alberta, for his take on the controversial numbers and the response he's getting from Albertans. Continuing the conversation on the proposed APP, or Alberta Pension Plan, we asked for the thoughts of Mount Royal University political scientist Laurie Williams. We asked the professor for her perspective on the plan and what the road to a potential referendum might look like. And it's a new invention that might just eliminate the risk of concussion in the world of sport, and it was created by a U.S. college student. With details on this stabilizing hood and how it works, we get a checkup with our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski. Do Albertans truly want to leave the Canada Pension Plan and is a provincial version in the public's best interest? Joining us to talk about it is Bradley LaFortune, Executive Director of Public Interest Alberta. Hi, Brad. Thanks so much for being with me this morning.
1: Good morning. No problem. Nice to be here.
0: Uh, This is a big one. It's a very complicated issue, and it's one that uh, I think will take some time to play out. What was your reaction and, and sort of your thoughts when the province actually proposed leaving this Canada Pension Plan?
1: Yeah, for sure. Definitely a big issue and something you've been hearing for, about for a while. I think the biggest thing for me is when I saw that number and I heard that number that, you know, according to the government, of Alberta, we're entitled to 53 percent of the total assets of the CBP to the tune of three hundred thirty four billion dollars. Uh, if we walk away today, I, I just My eyes kind of popped out of my head, to be honest with you. That was my first response. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was pretty shocked.
0: I I think a lot of people sort of reacted the same way. And there's been a lot of controversy about the numbers that the UCP has put forward since that day. Do you think and what kind of response are you hearing? Do you think, though, it's in the public, the best interest of public, uh, you know, the public and and Albertans to, to move away from a federal pension plan?
1: No, I, essentially I don't. I mean if you put that number into context if all provinces were to, you know, go to the proverbial piggy bank today to leave the plan that collective base asset transfer would be about 900% of the total assets of the pool today. So it just doesn't really add up. I mean, on the larger question of, you know, should we be looking at an Alberta pension plan? Um, You know, the premier said, you know, it's your pension, your choice. So that's, that's good. We're going to have, you know, a conversation about it. So that's, that's a good thing. But I think ultimately the CPP is stable. It's predictable. It's been there for a long time. It's going to be sustainable for 75 years and into the future beyond that. So, you know, to me, it just seems like it's a it's, um, you know, it's not it's not a problem that people are really have have top of mind right now in Alberta. I'm not really sure why we're pursuing it so, you know, fervently at this mm. time.
0: Can we step back a moment and, and have you explain a little bit about your group, your organization, Public Interest Alberta, what you do?
1: Yeah, for sure. So Public Interest Alberta, we're a nonprofit organization. We've been around for 20 years now. My office is up in Edmonton, but we're province wide. And what we do is we talk about public interest things. So that's public services, uh, public institutions like healthcare, education, social services. And, you know, pension security and retirement security is a big, big issue for some of our members as well, especially seniors and folks who are getting on into their careers. So we try to provide a little bit of a counterbalance when it comes to provincial politics. So this is a big Big, big issue for us right now and we're hearing a lot from our members about the CPP a lot of concern for sure
0: yeah so that's uh, so what I wanted to ask you you know what what kind of response are you getting it does it do do you is it overwhelming at this point because the numbers just don't seem to add up I don't think we have m- enough information obviously at this point to make it an actual decision but is it is it sort of a, a no at this point that you're hearing for the most part
1: yeah it's it, it's it's a no and people are looking for a second opinion I think essentially right when they when they hear the high num the the sort of top level numbers from this report um that the government you know contracted of course and that's fine governments do that all the time we go and we have task forces we have panels etc but people are saying to us you know what maybe it's time for us to see what you know trevor Toom has to say for example from the ufc or get a second opinion from somebody else who is even more arm's length from government so at the first kind of you know i guess step it just doesn't smell right Mm -hmm. to folks. And then, you know, the other thing is, you know, a lot of people just don't really understand how, you know, the CPP works. That's fine. You know, it's kind of on your on your pay stub or, you know, you receive a check if you're retired now. But people want kind of a primer on how this this program really works, how it might compare to, you know, the Quebec pension plan, etc. Right. So, to kind of jump ahead to say, like, you know, well, do you want an Alberta pension plan? And then you take the government survey. There's not even really a question about whether or not you want to have this conversation. It just feels like we're being rushed to a conclusion that Albertans aren't really at yet if that makes sense so yeah people are very hesitant for sure
0: yeah i mean the the only sort of uh, pro i pro folks that we've seen anyway here on our text line uh, those are people who are like let's stick it to the federal government because Alberta has been taken advantage of and i don't think that's necessarily the right way to make as, as much as you might feel that way and it could very well be true it's perhaps not the best way to make a decision on something like a pension plan
1: yeah, when I hear that argument too, like there was one of our members who works on the working group, we have a campaign going, and she made a really good point. She's like, you know, I was born in Leduc County, um, but, you know, my parents both came west from PEI. Um, we spend, you know, a lot of our time uh, over the summers on the west coast, for example. Um, my own story my dad, you know, moved us out to Saskatchewan when we were two years old because things really turned down in, in 1986 here in Alberta. And then we came back, um, you know, and, I'm, you know, proudly born but raised in Saskatchewan and then came back to Alberta. So, you know, I think that Albertans by and large consider themselves to be, you know, whether it's Canadian first and Alberta second or Albertan first and Canadian second, Mm -hmm. both Albertans and Canadians. And there's a lot of questions about how this might impact, you know friends and neighbors and family um, who are, you know, uh, in Alberta or not across the country. So that's a big thing. I don't think that people are really not a lot of folks. I mean, I understand that sentiment at a general level, but the impact it'll have on a lot of our, you know, our neighbors and our compatriots is, is pretty severe, right? Like this will destroy the Canada pension plan, mm-hmm. Um and and there's nothing to stop other provinces from doing the same thing, according to this interpretation within this LifeWorks report. So uh, to me, that's pretty troubling, quite frankly. I think that, you know, most folks don't really want to stick it to Ottawa at the expense of, of their, their fellow own
0: wallets, Canadians. And their own wallets, right?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at the Quebec Pension Plan, for example, the short answer when people are like, well, "What about Quebec?" So when that when that uh, that plan was founded, at the same time as CPP in the mid you know mid to late 1960s, the contribution rate of both plans was 3.6 percent. Okay, so really low. Sounds good. I mean, especially compared to today. But if you fast forward to today, CPP has a contribution rate of 9.9. 9. Okay, not great, right? Like, I mean, that's a lot higher than it was when it started. Mm-hmm. But it's stable. And this the QPP, the Quebec Pension Plan rate is ten point eight percent yeah um, and you know the, the the thing is is that you know this 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 report and the government is really sort of assuming and making projections that you know, the reality today, when it comes to our population, uh, our average age and the contribution rates that that's going to go on and, you know, into the future forever. But over time, what happened in Quebec is that, you know, in migration slowed down, birth rates slowed down. So the average population in Quebec is now older than the rest of Canada. Right. So they have the most expensive plan in the country. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of a case of be careful what you wish for. Um, the, the, the CPP is, is stable. My message to, to everyone, including the government, is, you know, CPP is stable, it's reliable, it's predictable, and it provides good returns for Canadians and, and Albertans included. So um, I, I just don't see us wanting to play play risky you know politics, quite frankly, with it. So we'll, we'll see. We're going to be out there. We have a campaign uh, going on right now. If people want to check it out at our website, Public Interest Alberta, they can. And they can write to the government and say, you know what, like, let's just slow this down. Let's get a second opinion. And quite frankly, like, let's stay in the CPP. So that's our message to the government today.
0: Fair enough. And we know in the next few months, former Progressive Conservative Finance Minister Jim Dinning is going to head up a panel. We'll consult with Albertans uh, over the fall and into spring of 2024. And then if that happens to go well, the government says they could hold a referendum. Uh, As you mentioned, there's a survey available, albertapensionplan.ca. You can go online and have a look at that. That, of course, comes directly from the UCP government. Um, Give us your website as well, a public Interest Alberta, where people can get more information, as you said, Brad.
1: For sure. So it's pialberta.org. That's pialberta.org. And if you click on Save Our CPP, we have fact sheets. We have a letter you can send to the government. And we also have a petition you can download and send in as well.
0: Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it.
1: No problem. Take care. Have a good morning.
0: You too. Bradley LaFortune, Executive Director of Public Interest Alberta. Again, you can go online for info on their perspective, pialberta.org. Ultimately, Albertans will have their voices heard in a referendum on the province's proposal to leave the Canada pension plan in favour of an Alberta pension plan, as the UCP government says, if that's the direction that government gets from the people. Is a provincial pension plan something Albertans truly want? What does the road to a referendum look like? A lot of questions in this one. Joining us to talk all about it is Laurie Williams, Professor of Political Science at Mount Royal University. Hi, Laurie. Thanks for being with us.
2: Hi, Sue. It's great to be with you.
0: This is not a new idea. This is one that's been coming from now Premier Danielle Smith for some time. It was a platform during her campaign. Do you think this was something that helped bring the UCP to governance in the province, or is this just now something that the the Premier is now able to bring
2: forward? Well, I wouldn't say it's brought them to governance because she didn't campaign on it and you know looks like may, may have even avoided talking about it during the campaign simply because she knew it wasn't popular well, we know the stats on this are are quite low um you know only depending on the poll around 21 or to 30 percent of albertans support it more than half 60 70 64 65 depending on the on the poll um you're looking at um don't want uh, an alberta pension plan and and i think Part of the thing is that that as a population, um, Albertans may not be capital C conservative particularly, but they do tend to be conservative in the sense that they're they're um, adverse to risk. They they they're very cautious, particularly about something like retirement uh, plans. I mean, we always
0: hear Albertans are fiscally conservative more than anything else, right? So I would think this has got to raise a lot of red flags for a whole lot of people.
2: Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that, Sue. So that that idea of being cautious with money, being good stewards, particularly of of um, the money of those over whom you you uh, are governing, um, I think that that sort of uh, perspective is one that's probably a good idea to bear in mind and and you you put all that together with these really questionable numbers that that um, Alberta is somehow entitled to 334 billion dollars that's 53% more than half of the total in the fund and and we've got you know what 15 16% of the population of the country we've we've made about 16% of the contributions compared with others in the country this isn't just just questionable from an Albertan um, point of view is questionable. Elsewhere, it's it's really blown a hole in the credibility of the government making a claim like this out out the door. And I think it's going to make it very difficult to generate trust when you're starting with something this questionable. Yeah, the, I mean the numbers just simply don't add up. It,
0: from from what you're hearing and those that might be in favor of an Alberta pension plan, does it feel like? Because that's kind of the sense we get here, just through our text line. Really, I can I can speak to that. As you know, it, those who want it. Th- think it's a way to stick it to the federal government
2: yeah i I think that is that is true i mean i've spoken to to people who are really strong advocates of this just because they think it uh it makes sense because uh they they read it as us paying more into the fund than getting out of course it's it's not like other things and says that we're we're paying um, now and and at some point when we are eligible for retirement, we'll bring be bringing that, that money back in. So this isn't sort of a, a permanent outflow of cash. And and it's important to remember that if Alberta had its own pension fund, when Albertans moved to other places to retire, that would still take t- cash outside of, of Alberta. And I think that isn't always um, borne in mind. But even even um, Jack Mintz, in some of the stuff that he's written, um, almost seems to be saying that this is this is almost a um, a message to the rest of Canada about how much more Alberta contributes, and that pushing on this might make negotiations on on things like cap the cap on Alberta emissions or or you know other energy related matters. Mm-hmm. It might make those negotiations go a bit smoother.
0: and And do you think that could hold true? Does it give us a, a little bit of leverage as a province?
2: Uh, this one, I'm not sure. Now, there are two things we need to understand. Unlike the equalize, equalization referendum, for example, this is something that Alberta could do without the well, without the consent of other provinces. But the fact is, we've got to get an agreement about how much is ta- being taken out of the fund in negotiations with other provinces and the federal government, of course, excluding Quebec. and And we risk um, alienating. Canadians in other provinces, um, sort of poor relationships between the premier of Alberta, premiers elsewhere, and and I think it 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 has a chance to actually isolate and generate more animosity toward Alberta. Mm. So politically, I think this might have been a um, a bit of a. Um, a bad step or a step in the wrong direction
0: speaking with laurie williams mount royal university political scientist so i mean laurie what what does the road to a potential referendum look like do you think that that's happening no matter
2: what well the the premier is saying that it will only happen if Mm -hmm. uh, if there's a referendum that actually uh, approves that she says she's going to listen to albertans even though it's quite clear from consistent polling over a very long time actually but particularly the last few years this this was started by jason kenny this is idea idea has been around for a while the fair deal panel engaged it on on even more favorable assumptions in terms of what the premium rates would be uh, for those in, a, in an Alberta pension plan, ones that don't stand up to, to scrutiny at all. Um, but all of that that said, um, it's been around for a while, and the polling has consistently shown that Albertans don't, don't want this. Uh, so, if she, in fact, she listens to Albertans. Uh, there won't even be a referendum, much less moving in this direction. I think the province is hoping to persuade enough Albertans to win a referendum and move forward from there. But again, with... But this, this these kinds of questions um, swirling around it both just you know logistical financial questions and then political questions uh, the relationship with with other provinces and premiers. Uh, I think with all of that in play as well, this makes it a very difficult sell.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was such a rosy picture when the government presented it, obviously. But I mean, you know, just get a, a question on the text line now. And there are multiple questions to be answered. But this person saying, you know, what about the portability of the pension plan? It'll be an accounting nightmare if someone worked in several different provinces. Or, you know, you spent most of your time living in Alberta and then you, you pay into this provincial plan and then you move. I mean,
2: what happens to all those people? Well that could be a complication but but remember that Quebec has a separate pension plan that was begun. I mean Quebec mm-hmm. has never been part has never been part of the CPP. Uh, Quebec has its own plan and people move to and from Quebec they work in Quebec and retire elsewhere and and there are arrangements that can be made. I mean it could be costly to to organize something like that it could be difficult on, on all kinds of counts that's that's certainly a possibility. Uh, I think the bigger question is the risk. Speaking of Quebec, Quebec is now paying higher premiums than the rest of Canada for its separate pension plan, and part of that is because of their um, older population. Part of it is just there's there's a much bigger pool. Right. to sort of insulate against risk, uh, to have stable return on investment in, in that larger plan, the Canada Pension Plan, than there would be. And I think that's the bit that's forgotten here. So we're not just putting money in and taking it out like it's a savings account. We're putting money in, it's getting invest, invested, and that's growing. Um, the five-year earnings average for the CPP is is almost 11%, which is pretty good return. Uh, and, and some people in Alberta are remembering in 2020, Coal lost two billion uh, dollars, and, and I think those folks are saying, "Well, wait a minute. The track record of the Canada Pension Plan has been pretty good since 1995, uh, when when the uh, the structure and, and investment port, uh, uh, approach changed. Uh, it's much more sustainable and stable. And I think a lot of folks are saying, "Well, you know, maybe this one makes sense to just stay with something that works."
0: We should send people, and the questions do we're hearing seem a bit skewed, but there is a poll at albertapensionplan.ca. People can go and have their say. Thank you so much for joining us, Laurie. It's, an, it's an, a topic I'm sure we'll have you back on again because it's not going away anytime soon. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. Appreciate it. Laurie Williams, Mount Royal University, political scientist it's a new invention that could eliminate the risk of concussion in the world of sport and it was created by a u.s college student for details on how it works we're joined this morning by dr ted jablonski our on-call family physician good morning dr jay
3: good morning
0: this is fascinating concussions have been in the conversation surrounding sports forever no real answer on how to safeguard athletes young or old until now so tell us about this invention it's pretty cool
3: Yeah, it is a really interesting idea. So essentially, as you said, this college student playing football, his brother's a a big-time football player. He has a career-ending concussion. He cannot now make it further in his career as a professional football player. He comes from a very entrepreneurial family, as it turns out, uh, who has a lot of patents and inventions. He figures out this, uh, essentially, an invention to try to dissipate some of the impact of a head injury. So it, it, think of this as a balaclava, like a, a mask that goes uh, like a hoodie, I guess, over your head, onto your upper shoulder, upper chest area. And it, and it's made of five millimeters of a fabric, which I, I guess, just trying to look at the description, is like a rubber of sorts. So that it, when there's impact, it has a bit of stiffness, and it takes the impact and disperses it from the head to the neck to the upper uh, chest and shoulder area, so it isn't taken on the brain. Fascinating. And this under any kind of helmet. it's Basically, you put it on and then put your uh, uh, the rest of your equipment on top of it, so it's right next to the skin. So, a fascinating idea.
0: In, in develop, developed for football in this case, though, but do you think this sort of technology, can you see it maybe being used for other sports as well?
3: Oh, totally. And, uh, you know, so this is very much a prototype Um, It made medical news uh, this past month because it's now on the market. You know how we talk about a lot of things like uh, it's very conceptual. It's being used in animal models. It's five years down the road. This is on the market right here, right now. So there's a little bit of hype, a little bit of marketing. Um, But it's made medical press because now it is obtainable and absolutely came to the world in the football world. but. I can't see it for sure in hockey, uh, for sure in extreme sports, skiing so um, or snowboarding, You know where potentially head injuries uh, are absolutely real, that this could easily be put under. In fact, I think of the winter sports as a great place for this because it would help you keep warm. Yeah, right. That's uh, what I was I think wondering. Of some of the, yeah, the summer sports would be, I think, more problematic in the sense of having this five millimeter of rubber on you and you're playing in you know 25 degree mm-hmm. or 30 degree heat that's going to be problematic
0: so it's getting good results as you say from those playing football but i mean what is it actually doing can you can you see and kind of explain that like in terms of how it's taking the impact away from the brain
3: i guess it it uh, stiffens your um, the connection of the head to the neck, uh, to the shoulder area. So it's area. not
0: whipping that's your head around.
3: Correct. God. It's sort of preventing that uh, whiplash-like effect. And and you can think of that if, if it dissipates that energy force, uh, slows it down and takes it, spreads it out, so it's not just the brain that gets rattled. Because uh, that's usually the, the issue with the hit is that the, the head gets whipped very quickly and the brain basically gets jostled and bangs within the skull uh, so it's like a soft organ getting banged against the hard box of the skull. So if you could slow down that process or dissipate all that energy so it goes to the uh, the rest of the body and not just to the brain inside the skull, that in theory could really lessen the forces of the brain. So mm-hmm. it can eliminate concussions. Mm-hmm. you get hit hard enough, the brain gets banged hard enough, it's still going to happen. But on these, I guess, lesser hits or, uh, uh, and again, whether it be hockey, whether it be uh, skiing or snowboarding, whether it be football, anything where the head is whipped uh, by the neck, uh, if you can slow that down or eliminate that, you're going to make a big difference.
0: That's fascinating. In terms of concussions, Dr. J, can you ever fully recover from a concussion?
3: Yes, a minor concussion. And if it's a, a single one, absolutely can be fully recovered. It's usually the multiple uh, concussions that are the problem. Like over time, if you get concussed repeatedly, or if you get concussed when your brain is still trying to heal. And all the sports protocols of, you know, you can't return to play until you're better are based on not really that, that, that uh, concussion isn't going to get better, but the fact that if you get another concussion when you're still recovering, that one is dramatically worse. And- and that puts you back a long, long way. That one may not be recoverable, that particular one. Hence, you have to let it really heal completely. Once you're fully healed, then in theory, you could take another one And it would have less impact not that it's a good thing concussions are a bad thing Mm -hmm. and the more you have the worse it is
0: Uh, just reading a little bit more that even though this is designed to be worn under helmets they're already working on a version that could be used in non-helmeted sports so clearly there's a lot of excitement about something like this and we hear so much these days about concussions how they really affect even you know the youngest of young athletes so this is pretty cool really neat idea and especially when it comes from somebody who you know has a little bit of skin in the game so to speak. Speak.
3: No, absolutely. So, yes, yeah, so we'll see how this goes over time. Uh, but anything that makes sports safer is a good thing. Uh, there's a huge threat uh, to, uh, to football right now because of that concussion picture. Uh, probably, you know, worse than any other sport. But that could end professional football as it is right now. Uh, you know, hockey's not that far behind. Mm-hmm. So anything that could potentially lessen this is a, is a huge breakthrough.
0: And as you say, this uh, this idea could reduce, they say, could reduce the risk of concussions by almost 60%. Fascinating. Thanks for bringing it to us. Always appreciate your time, Dr. J.
3: Okay, you betcha.
0: Thanks so much. Dr. Ted Jablonski is our on-call family physician.